They marveled at your signs, your wonders. They thought you had died, but you saved the world. A sign, power, divine authority. Expect a miracle. Believe for a miracle. Receive for a miracle. And be responsible to manage your miracle. Where miracles are, there certainly God is. Well, good morning. Good to see you today. How's everybody? Yeah, good? It's good. You know, the thing I love about church is the stories that don't get told. And I mean the stories that are funny, that are just so inappropriate. Do you know what I'm talking about? And there's nothing funnier than sustained laughter. You know, when something funny happens, you're sitting out there, and you know you're, you've got to hold it back because it's just not appropriate. You know what I'm talking about? You know what, or how about when you're yawning and you just go like, I, I just got to act like I'm in prayer right now. I, I love those moments. Uh, my mom grew up uh, in a small little rural town in northern uh, Missouri on a farm, and the church that she went to was down by a little creek, and they had unusual kind of ministries going on there. Uh, they would baptize in this little creek, and apparently it, it had one problem. It was filled with water moccasins. Now, if you don't know what a water moccasin is, it's a dangerous snake. And so one guy's ministry was to stand in the creek and watch for water moccasins and while they were baptizing people. And so when they were baptizing, I mean, you better know Jesus if you're going to get baptized in that house, right? And then uh, she said another one was they had a guy, and he had a, like a 10-foot wooden pole, and his job was when people began to nod off, he would go by and take the stick and wake them up. Now, you know, that's not a good commentary on your sermon, right? I was uh, ministering to this young man uh, on New Year's Day, and we'll talk a little bit more about him later. But uh, as I was ministering to him, he was, uh, you know, gone through just all kinds of tests and and challenges, and he was yawning repeatedly. And he said, I'm so sorry for yawning. And I said, look, as a pastor, I get used to it. It's like goes with the territory, amen? You just got to like, it happens. I've been where you are, and I've really wanted to hear the message, and I was really tired, and I was trying to yawn in a spiritual way. So if you do that, we will understand. It's just don't make a habit of it, okay? Is that fair enough? We'll try to make the sermon exciting enough to where you don't do that. How many of you know what veneer is on a piece of wood? Just raise your hand. I know what veneer is. Okay, some of you didn't. Uh, I'm going to assume that you don't want to participate because I can't imagine nobody knowing what veneer isn't. All right, so if you take a piece of wood, what you do is you put a thin layer of veneer over it. So, for example, you might say, well, uh, I want to put a veneer of, of uh, mahogany or a veneer of, of uh, walnut over this piece of wood, and the wood will be uh, a different kind of a wood than you're putting it over. And the idea is you want to accentuate a different grain or a different quality, or maybe you're going to put it on a lesser quality wood to enhance the look and the beauty of this piece of wood. And I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about that's how really the natural and the supernatural world is. I want you to think about veneer as the natural world. And then the substance it's, it's built onto is the supernatural world. And what we do is we're, we're pretty content to live our life on the surface of what's happening in our world, in the natural world. 
like a veneer. And unless something happens to our physical, natural world that puts a dent in that physical world, that causes a setback in that physical world, what we do is we go on live contented lives thinking that this is all there is. Oh, we know there's a supernatural. We believe in God, but we don't see a lot of evidence of it. But what God wants us to do is get below the surface of the natural, move into the realm of the supernatural so that we begin to understand what the kingdom of God is all about. I'm going to talk to you today about the kingdom of God. We're going to do some real basic kind of foundational pieces to help you understand it. And we're going to move into some things that are a little bit deeper And I want you to, even though it's going to seem simple on the surface, I want you to really ask the Holy Spirit to take what we say and apply it to your your spirit, your spirit man inside of you, your heart, so that you see some things maybe you haven't seen before. Here was a thought that got me, that I put down that got me thinking in this direction. You can spend your whole life your whole life thinking about what you see in the natural realm is superior to that which you see in the supernatural realm. In other words, that you may not make that statement, but the way you live your life points back to the fact that you go, all of my priorities and all of my time and all of my energy are so built into the natural world that I don't invest any time or very little time into the supernatural realm, or my trust goes into the natural versus into the supernatural realm. So I want to give you some basics as we begin to build this message about the kingdom of God. And the first one is this, that you enter the kingdom of God by the new birth. No one is born a Christian. No one is a Christian because they grew up in a Christian home. You, are, you become a Christian because you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You believe that he died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose from the, from the grave, and you, you take that promise of being born again. So you're born once physically, but you're born again spiritually, and unless you have that second birth, you don't enter into the kingdom of God. Years ago, I was doing a Bible study and, uh, on a Sunday night, and, and it was kind of open to the community, and we started having a number of Catholic nuns come to the Bible study, which I thought was really kind of cool, you know. I mean, I didn't grow up with nuns, didn't grow up in Catholic church, and I'd heard all these stories about nuns. I was just excited to have nuns in our church, you know. And, uh, I mean, you who grew up in the Catholic church and hear the stories of being hit with a ruler by a nun, I don't know that story, so I just like nuns. And so, anyway, I was making this comment about being born again, and uh, these two nuns came up and said, well, you know, that's really not biblical, and I said, do you have your Catholic Bible with you? And she said, yes, I do. And I said, can I borrow it? And I opened it up to John 3, 16, and I had her read it. And in her Catholic Bible, Jesus said, uh, you know, about loving God. And then it goes on to say about Nicodemus, it says, and unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I said, it's in your Bible. Oh, yeah, okay, it is. So anyway, a week goes by, and, they, and I said, you know, purgatory is not in the Bible. It's a ski area, but it's not in the Bible. And they came up, they said, now, wait a minute. They said, now, you know, you said purgatory is not in the Bible. I said, it's not in the Bible. I said, go ask your priest and, uh, and, and find out where purgatory is in the Bible. And they came back the next week, and I said, hey, can you give me that reference? She says, you know it's not in there. The reason I tell that story is, is because I think it's fun, but I also think it, it kind of illustrates the point of what's in that Bible. 
And what is the supernatural spiritual truth that we want to adhere to? What is it's going to give you life? What is going to breathe, bring life into your spirit and give you the power to live your life every single day under the anointing, under the authority, under the power of, of God's word and his spirit? That's what we need in 2019. Amen? Second truth. As a born-again person, you are designed to live in the kingdom. Now, you're on planet Earth, but your sphere of understanding should be the kingdom of God. So that when you look at life, everything you look in life, you look at it and you go, I see God working behind the scene. I see God in this situation. Something even as simple as a human being. You look at another human being, and what you, you need to see is not just that person, but you need to see the image of God. There's a divine creation standing in front of you every single day called the image of God that has a name. And you look and you go, wow, look how wonderfully and magnificent you are in the variety of people you create on planet Earth. And God, you have done some amazing things. You look at the, at the sun and the moon and the stars, and instead of just seeing that, that daily routine of, of rotating of night and day, you begin to see God shouting from the heavens his glory. And you begin to understand something about this nature of living in the kingdom. The other one is this one. This is really a, an important one. It is you, you are to govern your life by the laws of the kingdom. Now, a lot of people, when they, when they hear that, they go, well, I'm a Christian, but I ask you the second question, are you governing your life, are you living your life by the laws of the kingdom of God? Because the laws of the kingdom of God set the parameters around which we should live. Typically, we think about Christianity like people think about religion. I love as a pastor to tell people, well, I, you know, I hate religion. They look at me, how can you hate religion? I said, because religion is all about man trying to find God, but Christianity is a relationship whereby Jesus is always in pursuit of us. And all he wants is a relationship with him that is built on trust and not built on rules and regulations. But within this kingdom, as I live as a, king, a citizen of the kingdom, I have certain things that I have to walk by, and those things are going to help me. But not only that, they're going to protect me. You see, we're protected in the kingdom by, when we live in the kingdom by the laws of the king. Now, a lot of people like to quote the scripture, raise up a child when, uh, when he is young, and, uh, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. What they want to do is make that scripture say what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if you take kids to, to church once in a while, they're protected and they'll return when they depart. It's not what it says. What it says, raise up a child in the way that they should go. That is, you pattern their life in such a way that they understand how the kingdom works so that when they get out on their own, whenever they start to depart from it, they're immediately going to go back into it because they understand the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that I'm going to drag my son or my daughter to church whenever they're willing to go as long as they don't have hockey, uh, baseball, basketball, or, or some other sport. That's not what it means. Because what you do is you raise up a child then in the way that they should go, and the way that they should go is a way to try to avoid church at any cost. Hello, this is just Jesus talking stuff. This is how he, he preached we want to have a Christianity that's compatible with our lifestyle. Jesus wants to make our lifestyle compatible with his heart. 
until we get to that place, we're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. What we've done is we've become an observer versus a participant in the kingdom. So the promises of protection fall to those who live in the kingdom by the laws of the kingdom in the power of the Spirit of God. So I can't just say I'm a Christian and expect all of his protection if I violate his laws. You can always tell when it gets quiet. You're thinking, right? You're thinking about this. But it makes sense. For example, honor your father and your mother. That's a command of God. People say, but you don't know my father and my mother. You see, the the promises of God, the laws of God are never optional. God says, honor your father and mother. Well, what if they're not people that are to be honored? You don't honor them for their behavior. Honor them for their position. When you do that, here's the promise, and your days will be long on the face of the earth. So I get the promise of longevity in life when I honor my father and my mother, even if they're not honorable people. Because God wants me to learn that honor is a kingdom principle, whether I apply it to my friend, my wife, my neighbor, or my mom, or my dad. When I learn that principle, I can operate in the kingdom according to his laws and his regulations and his rules in a much, much better way. Here's another one. God says, when you bring in your tithes and your offerings unto me, when you're faithful to me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop the devourer in your life. So what happens is people will operate in the natural realm and say, my accounting process will not allow that, and they miss out on the supernatural. They live their life in the veneer. They never get the protection or the benefits of the kingdom. You see, in the way that we understand this is we understand it by more knowledge, more experience, we understand the kingdom better and better. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was in grade school. This was before the middle school concept. They had junior high. So I was a sixth grader, and I was king of the hill because I was in sixth grade. And all the fifth graders and everybody down, they didn't exist. They, they were not people. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, when you're a sixth grader, you are like on top of it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I find the reality coming. I'm going to junior high. And now I will be a non-person. I was afraid. I told my mom, I don't want to go there. They, they have People there have whiskers and pimples and muscles. I don't want to go to junior high. Why? Because I didn't know anything about it. It was a new environment for me. It was a strange environment. And I remember walking in the first day, and I felt exactly that way. I am nobody. And the ninth graders looked at me like, if you look at me, I will kill you. And I believed them. Right? And so I go through seventh grade. I somehow endure that crisis in my life of seventh grade. But I'm gaining knowledge. I go into eighth grade. I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm kind of like, I'm like the bologna sandwich. I'm the bologna now, right? I'm in the middle. Okay, I'm feeling pretty good. At seventh graders, you are not people. I respect and honor the ninth graders so I don't get beat up. This is my, this is my whole way of living. Now, maybe all of you had a different experience. But for me, it was a horrible experience. Right? Then I get to be a ninth grader. Now I am king of the hill again. Now I can look at all the seventh and eighth graders. You are nobody. I am a ninth grader. Look at me. And you remember how old you felt when you were 14? Remember when you were in high school, you thought you were such a big person, a big adult, and you knew so much stuff? I look back at my pictures. I go, look at, look at this nerd. Who is this guy? What, ha- what changed in my life was knowledge and experience. The more knowledge and experience you get in the kingdom, the more equipped you are to understand that world. 
and you begin to operate with different principles. So when we start talking about the kingdom and we start talking about your commitment to the kingdom, living by the laws of the kingdom, I know in some ways that's a scary thing. It's like going into seventh grade. But the deeper you get into it, the more you progress into it, the more you become qualified and knowledgeable and experienced to live in the kingdom and the power of the kingdom, and it's no longer intimidating at all. And then you begin to look forward to the fullness of the kingdom. So then you begin to realize that, wow, what I'm experiencing now can only get better. The greatest days are not in my past. The greatest days are in my future because the fullness of the revelation of God, the fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, this is all right here, right now available, and it's only going to get bigger and better and broader in my future. And that's exciting. Let me give you a diagram to kind of illustrate a little bit of this. So in the kingdom, you've got to have a couple of things. You've got to have uh, the kingdom of God. You've got to have a realm. So there, there's a realm by which the kingdom of God operates. And that means those who are adherents to the kingdom. So not everybody is in the kingdom. Everybody is subject to the God who is over all things and all powerful, but not everybody is an adherent to the kingdom. Not everybody who calls himself a Christian is in the kingdom of God. You only become a part of the kingdom of God when you are born into that kingdom by the new birth. Baptism doesn't do that. Ordinances don't do that. Growing up in a Christian home doesn't do that. So you've got to have in the realm, and then in that realm you've got to have a king. So there's a king that's over that realm called the kingdom of God. That's King Jesus. He's over that realm. And then you have subjects, so everyone who believes they're a subject of the kingdom, and then there are laws that govern that particular realm. So this is the kingdom of God. When we talk about the kingdom, this is the kind of stuff we refer to. So all of this is kind of basic 101 kingdom of God stuff in the Bible. Now, Jesus spent his... His, his life, really, his ministry life, with his disciples teaching them about the kingdom. What shocked him was he could get a couple of years into it. They, they bring, a father brings a boy that has a demon spirit, and he, they don't know what to do. They can't help the boy. He looks at them and goes, wait a minute. What, how long do I have to be with you? Haven't I taught you about this? And all of a sudden you realize, wow, to be an adherent in the kingdom, the follower of Jesus, it demands a lot. to really follow after Jesus. I believe the reason that we haven't made a bigger impact in the world is because we've become so, so much in the observer mode that we're not a participant in the kingdom. And a lot of the reasons that we struggle as Christians in the world is because we are struggling from an observer standpoint versus understanding how to flow in the participant world. We need to be participants in the kingdom. In other words, we need to really, really sell out for Jesus. Think about it like this. Take your level and just mark it on a scale of 1 to 10. In your own mind right now, scale of 1 to 10, where on 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, where do you mark yourself? Go ahead, got it? Now, what would happen if in your life you would go up one number? You say, well, I'm a 5. Okay, what would happen if you'd be a 6? What would your life look like? Do you realize that if everyone in this room would go up one level that it would be transformational to your family, to your community, and to your workplace. Because if I say 10, you go, that's too far. Okay, what if you go one? What would one look like to you? 
It would look to say, I want to know the laws of the kingdom. I want to live in the promises of the kingdom. I want to really be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to be an observer. I want to be a participant in everything that God is doing. All right, now let's begin to to kind of take this and go to another level. This thought may be a new thought to you, but I I want to illustrate it with a circle like this. I want you to think about the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. Because unless you understand the work of the Spirit, you're not going to understand, really, the kingdom of God. So Romans chapter 14 illustrates this point. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says this. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. In other words, it's not a physical activity. It's not something that you see. goes on to say, but it is righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit, and in that Holy Spirit presence you experience peace and joy and righteousness. So we learn a little bit about the kingdom here. Let me give you a little bit of idea of that word in there. It is a preposition denoting a fixed position in place, in time, or in state. So the idea is the kingdom of God is fixed. We don't build the kingdom. You can't build the rule and the reign of God. You can participate in it. You can encourage people to be in it, but you are not responsible to build it, nor are you responsible to build the church. Jesus already said, I would build the church. The church exists within the kingdom. So if we put the church in here, we put the church down here, within this realm of the Holy Spirit activity. Got it? Roman, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Got it? See, I got it. Make sure you're alive. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, what's the first thing on my first point of agenda? Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God. I get up in the morning, what do I do? I'm going to seek the kingdom of God. That means the king. That means the law. That means honor the subjects. That means all of those things we taught. That means being a fully participating member of the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's a sense in which you are righteous because you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. There's also a sense in which you must pursue righteousness in your life. You have to pursue being set apart for God, being holy unto the Lord. That means you have to change some things in your life to do that. You see, some of you are not experiencing the full participation in the kingdom because you haven't, applied, haven't been pursuing righteousness in your life. The nice thing about making a statement like that is no, I don't even have to name anything. The Holy Spirit begins to run your memory with ideas. And you're going, I know what he's talking about. He's talking to me. I'm not talking to you. Spirit of God's talking to you. My mother, when I was did something wrong, she knew it. I don't know what it is about moms. They're scary people. She'd say, I hope you're happy with yourself. No wonder, no wonder we live with guilt. Mom's like, I hope you're happy. Well, yes, I am. Well, you shouldn't be. No, I'm not. Well, that makes sense. I can't win with that question. 
Holy Spirit knows, you see, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Watch this. Sin in my life, the need for righteousness, and the idea that judgment is coming. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's not your job. A lot of people want to take on the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. No, you're not good at it because you already blew it. Amen? Okay. Righteousness is not separate from the kingdom. It is essential to the kingdom. Righteousness in your life is not separate from the kingdom, but it is essential in your life for the kingdom. So you cannot fully participate in the kingdom of God apart from righteousness. What you do is you, you say, well, I, I, I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, but what you're doing is you're observing all the activity in the kingdom as an observer instead of living it in, in the idea of a participant in the kingdom of God. So what that means is you lose out on every benefit that God has for you within the kingdom by choosing to be that. You know, the Bible says that some will be saved though as by fire. Now, what that scripture means, he's talking in, in the Corinthian letter there, he's talking about the judgment and the rewards that are given. And it says some people receive rewards for the deeds they have done. Some, their activity has been really kind of worthless, and so it's just consumed by fire. So they enter into heaven, but they don't have rewards. And, I'll, and I'll, sometimes I'll talk to people about that, and they'll go, well, I just want to get in. I don't care about all that reward. I just want to make sure I get in. And then I'll remind them. I said, well, let me tell you how selfish that is. Because it says for the deeds done in the body. So you're rewarded for the things you're doing while you're alive for the body of Jesus Christ. That's what you get rewards for. So what you're really saying is, I just want to get into heaven, but I'm going to neglect all the activity that God has for me in the body of Christ while I'm alive on planet Earth. You see how selfish that is? Because you see, the reason you come into the kingdom is not to go to heaven. If, if, if getting saved was to design to get you to heaven, he could just, the moment you got saved, just take you to heaven. But you're an extension of Jesus. You are to be the mission of Jesus on planet Earth. He empowers you to do what he did so that other people can do what he did as well. Then you get a reward. So now, let, now let's take that first step. Second reason it's, it's selfish is because when I get to heaven, the scene is there in Revelation. It's all this great uh, multitudes of people from every race and every nation and every tribe and every tongue, and they're singing this new song. They sing a new song unto the Lord, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb to be praised. And then it says they take from their head a crown, which was a reward, and they cast it at the Savior's feet, singing, you alone are worthy. So when I get to heaven without a crown, what I'm really saying is I'm going to diminish the worthiness of God by not having a crown before I get there. Because it was never for you in the first place. Rewards were never for you. They were to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And then think about it, that, that, that rewards don't stop there. Then all of a sudden there's assignments. So you go from rewards to assignments. Now he takes those who've been honoring him on planet Earth and he gives them kingdom, eternal assignments. You see, sometimes I think Christians almost think, well, I'm just going to kind of get through as much as I can, be as Christian as I can. We have people that come to church on, only on Christmas and Easter, and we love them. We love those people. They come because it's a cool time of year to come. 
They come because it's, it's kind of traditional, it's emotional, it's all those kind of things. But they're missing out on the good stuff. The daily walking with God and loving Jesus and ministering to one another and, and being a full participant in the kingdom of God. And that's what we want people to do. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is a deposit in your life of the kingdom. Do you realize that when you come to faith in Christ, when you say, I choose to follow Jesus Christ, I believe that he died, buried, rose from the dead, what the Holy Spirit does is he deposits himself in your spirit. You become a temple of God. That means just Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So do you instantly become perfect? Nobody I met have. Nobody in this room is unless we got to talk. But what it means is the change begins to happen from the inside out by the Spirit of God. He begins to change little by little. The Pharisees were these religious leaders in Jesus' day, and they had some questions. They said, Jesus, we want to know about the kingdom. When is it coming? Look what he says here in uh, Luke 17. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, so they thought the kingdom was coming and it would set up, Jesus would be on the throne, and then he would you know, wipe out all the enemies or he would bring them under his, his rule. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You can't see the kingdom. Makes it a little harder, doesn't it? You can't see the kingdom. Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Where's the kingdom of God? It's in you. How's the kingdom of God in you? He's in you and the Holy Spirit. When you release the Holy Spirit, you release the kingdom. How do I release the Holy Spirit? I begin to live and move in the power of the Spirit of God in my life. I begin to talk about His presence. I begin to minister to people in His presence. I want to read something to you. Uh, this uh, We referred to a young man named Brant, and we went down and ministered to him on, uh, on New Year's Day, and he's being diagnosed with uh, an inoperable brain uh, cancer. And as I was ministering to him and talking to him, we were praying. Um, I just wondered, this is a text. I asked his permission if I could read this. He said, I am so thankful today to be alive. He said, you know, I've been away from, from the Lord for a bit, and I've really questioned a lot of it. But he said, today I'm so thankful to be alive, truly feeling gratitude today. This is the best thing that could have happened in, for my spiritual life. Now, 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 I want you to think about that a minute because... He's just expressed something in this realm, not this realm. You know, if you're a young man with a two-year-old son, that's not how you talk unless you understand something about this. So he transitioned. The crisis pushed him into the transition into the supernatural realm. He said, God is infinitely bigger, big, and my cancer is small. That's a transitional statement. That's a powerful statement. That's a mindset change. See, the Holy Spirit is not optional in your life. There are people who say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in all that Holy Spirit stuff. Well, you remember that the Holy Spirit is one part of the Trinity. He's the, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so you can't take out the Holy Spirit and have God because it's one person, three beings within the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the question is, how does the Holy Spirit work in your life? He comes at salvation. The Bible says that we are to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit of God in our daily life, that he manifests himself in us by spiritual gifts, by wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We want to live our life that way. The human spirit craves the Holy Spirit. See, that's one thing we do know is the human spirit, your human spirit, when, it's, when it feels empty, it's because you're longing to be filled by the Spirit of God. So you try to fill it with other stuff to satisfy it. And it's not that some of that other stuff is necessarily bad or wrong. It's just you're trying to fill a void that only the Spirit of God can fill. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, uh, after he got up and preached, he said, what do we do? What do we do? It says we, we don't know what to do now. And he says, repent. Repent means I was going this way. I'm going to turn around and go that way. He says, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And here it is. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for me to understand the Spirit of God, I have to come to a point of repentance, turning toward God and say, I'm going to, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, the church... The body of Christ is the manifestation of the kingdom. How does the kingdom manifest itself on planet Earth? It manifests itself in the church. Uh, when you think about it, the, the future reign of God, what it does is it breaks in. So if I could just illustrate like this, if I could put past, present, and future on a timeline, what happens is God breaks in to this present evil age, and he begins to teach us something about the kingdom. That's what happens when a miracle happens. It's, it's God is teaching us something about the kingdom, the way his kingdom works. And it's, he's breaking into this age. Listen to what Paul writes in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, that the God uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you have revelation and you have um, knowledge and wisdom, you get it from the Holy Spirit of God. He says, um, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. So I, all of a sudden I begin to see things I didn't see in the kingdom because I'm a participant. That you may know the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory and inheritance with the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the workings of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now listen to this. Far above principality and power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Not only in the age that we're living in right now, but in the age to come. God breaks in. And what happens is when we live in this, in this kingdom, we experience the covering or the protection of God. This is the covering of God we want to live in. I want to be protected by you, God. That means even when crisis comes, I'm still under your protection. I'm under your care. I'm letting you direct me. We want, to, we want to experience the power of God in our life. You know, the Bible says that when the thief comes, that is the enemy, Satan, he always comes for a couple of things. He comes to kill and lie and to destroy. That's really why he comes. Do you realize your ministry is to undo those things? You have the power to say to someone, that's a lie from the enemy. Do not believe that about you. When people, when people have no hope and they're in despair and they don't know if, if they can even go on and live, you pour hope into them and you undo the works of the darkness and you bring the kingdom to light in their life. You see, it's not you to judge them. It's you to minister to them and bring them out of darkness into light. Church has become more efficient 
at finding out how to put blame on somebody who does something we don't do. Rather than to say, no, I'm going to help you get out of that mess. But for the grace of God, I'd be in the same mess. So you deliver them out of the power of darkness, and in the process, you destroy the works of the enemy because you're living in the kingdom of God. And then the impossible becomes possible. You see, in in heaven, the impossible is normal. That's why when miracles happen here, it seems so out of the ordinary. It seems so unusual. Because why? I can't believe this miracle. God, God wants us to come to the place to where miracles are so normal that they're normal in our thinking. Well, of course they're cured. Why wouldn't they be cured? That's, where, that's how the kingdom of God works. It's funny, we were driving and Tammy said, I've got to write these down. I just got like three miracle stories from people from our prayer wall. And we forget. I, I literally forget. People will tell me a miracle of an answered prayer and I forget to write it down. And I go, oh, I rejoice in the moment and I don't write it down. And then I go back and I go, wait a minute, I remember that and that and that and that. And I want, I want, my personal heart is, uh, when this doctor talked about this cancer that uh, Brandt had, he said, the cancer will camouflage itself so that the body doesn't know how to kill it or deal with it. And at Duke University, they had found that they could actually inject one of these inoperable uh, cancer cells with the polio vaccine, and the body didn't know what to do, so it took, a, it took the cancer as an enemy and began to attack it as if it were polio. And I realize that's what the enemy does. He comes into your life, he camouflages things. But when you inject that situation with the Spirit of God, the kingdom of God, the enemy doesn't know what to do. He gets confused, and the Holy Spirit takes care of the problem. Amen? Let's stand together. I uh, I know a lot of you uh, need prayer, need to... Uh, need to be ministered to and so I'm just going to we're just going to take we're going to do this quickly but we just invite you to come here to the front and we'd like to pray for you you've got a a big prayer request a big need in your life just come on front here and and just move quickly we'll we'll gather some of our prayer team and staff around you right now to to pray for you to minister to you in, in the name of Jesus and and this is always a powerful time we we hear great stories come out of these uh these moments these encounter moments and I'm just going to invite prayer member teams around you just to kind of pray for you. If, if, if you have some need of someone to pray for you, would you just slip your hand up so someone can come to you and make sure that we've, we've got you covered, okay? I always like to remind people, if, um, if you were facing a crisis, would you want somebody to be willing to stay five minutes longer to pray for you? Sometimes we get impatient, you know, like, Gosh, is this thing ever going to get over? But just be patient and let the Spirit of God work and minister in the lives of people.